the three falls refer to progression between certain critical experiences and stages. The fall of the ascetic refers to transcending detachment. This is what is called being a water buffalo, meaning acting in the world of differences. The fall of the noble means going beyond the experience of oneness and non-discrimination, knowing that the essence of self, knowing the essence of self, but not clinging to it. The fall according to kind is referred to as not obliterating sense experiences, but returning after initial detachment from the senses to live in the realm of sense without being blinded or impeded by their experience. <laughs> and that last one is, is what I was doing in Wednesday night meditation, where the man who knows nothing, a mountain is a mountain, and then with some knowledge, a mountain is not a mountain. And then when he's enlightened, a mountain is once again a mountain. So that's returning after the initial detachment. The initial detachment is when you see things um, beyond what they are. To live in the realm of sense being without being blinded or impeded by their experience. So of course you can't understand this until you're enlightened. And, but we can imagine it. Okay, uh, Melissa. Right. The three leaks are impurities or, def or defects in the knowledge of the Chan practitioner. The lack of views refers to clinging to a fixed position. The, lack, the leak of feelings means retention of bias. The leak of words means excessive explanation that conveys a false sense of understanding that obscures the practical process. Intellectual understanding, if exaggerated at the expense of actual application, can produce a false sense of having arrived at the end when one is really only on the threshold of beginning. And that supposedly is the necessity of having a teacher who can discern whether you're at the beginning or the end, right? You know, we fool ourselves. We're never I was, at the end. What? We're never at the end. We're never at the end. And, um, and there's a certain things we can't see in ourselves. Do we need friends or we need teachers to see those things? Okay, Malin. The schema for types of different kinds describes particular fields of experience and action. First, the different kinds of coming and going refers to all sense experience, all verbalization, all mundane and spiritual states. This is, in a sense, the field of Chan practice. Second, the bodhisattva simulating the different kinds refers to reinforcement reentering the world after having understood oneself, coming back to the mundane after having realized nirvana so as to help others. others. 
The Bodhisattva is one dedicated to the ordinary and transcendental welfare of both self and others equally. Third, the different kinds for ascetics refers to entering into the world after having forgotten completely about everything in past, present, and future, and having become independent. Fourth, the different kinds within the Chan school means going beyond absorption and present moment, present moment, transcending all notions, even of thusness, and acting in the midst of differentiations with no sense of either relative or absolute, absolute being or non-being. Um, Nandia is just going to listen for now. Okay. Nelda. Well, can we go back to the last paragraph? I raised my hand for a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. That's all right. I'm, I'm trying to assimilate this. I understand um, the first type of different kinds. And I guess I understand the second being the bodhisattva assimilating to different kinds to help everyone realize nirvana. Um, the third about re-entering to the world after having forgotten completely about everything in the past, present and future and having become independent. What does that mean? Maybe, maybe um, unattached, not dependent on things for our um, happiness. Um, you know, the word often uses freedom, isn't it? Being free of, of uh, stuff holding you back, even even believing that, um, I mean, this is great in terms of, of I think the independent is, is about freedom, about freedom of attachment. I mean, that is what's supposed to be ca causing our suffering is our attachment. Oh. And not living in a particular time but realizing that it's all time. But that sounds like the fourth one, that last part that you described. The first part, the first words you spoke, the first two thirds of what you said was making sense. But then the last fourth of what you said actually sounds more like number four, because that's where you go beyond absorption in the present moment and all notion and even thusness and no differentiation, no sense relative or absolute of being or non-being. Well, it's, it's also going beyond emptiness and coming back to things as they are. You know, mm -hmm. and, and the, everything cycles back to that, that I think. Okay. You know, so we were talking earlier, you and I, about carrots. And so um, 
you know, yes, on one, on one way, the carrot is empty. And on the other, it, it's absolutely a carrot. And how, you know, how to merge those two things is a challenge so that they're one. It, it's not, you know, in a kind of Western logic possible, is it? Well, I don't know a carrot's thusness, but I do know what a carrot tastes like. Well, you don't even know that. What you know is what your experience yes. of the taste of the carrot is. And there's a big difference. Right. It doesn't taste like anything, you know, it maybe. But we sure say it does. Like this is good, where really it's, it's just pleasurable for us, or we think it's pleasurable at least. And my doggies, they love carrots. Oh, great. All right, next paragraph. Um, Okay, go so on. Scarlet. Someone wants yeah. to say something. Okay. Yes, that's me. I I, the, I understood not the third one in a different way. Okay. It can be really wrong, but I just wanted to share. Sure. When he says, um, to, um re-enter into the world after having forgotten completely about everything in past, present, and future. To me, that means of someone or a being that has been able to, okay, we live in the present, but it's molded by everything that has happened to us in the past traumas or wonderful things, but they mold the way we are in the present and configure everything. And everything we do in the present, hopefully we enjoy the present, but it's normally also looking towards the future and trying to work to make the future have some type of influence in, to the, in the future for the better or the worse. But for me, this being um, would be able to come back and not be bothered with what happened in the past, not be bothered in looking into the future. And the present is fleeting. So you're not really in the present. So that's what I thought. Okay, the only part I did kind of disagree is I think the future is really our, our, our uh, how we imagine our future really conditions our behavior a lot. I agree. I okay. agree with what you just said. So it's, it's really important. And also the past, of course, it's not the past as it happened, but the past as we remember it. <laughs> yeah, I can... <laughs> How he happened and how it's remembered. And the pre the present isn't really the present, but it's the present as we what we experience, what we think we experience at least. Yes, but the person that comes back, that is in in this third kind, they will not be attached to whatever they remember. However, they remember the past. However, they want to the future to be or the present okay. they are would that i don't know i guess um 
I mean, all this is very hard to imagine. And then also we're translating this from the Chinese. So, you know, having forgotten completely what, you know, it's hard for us to know exactly what the, the original word said. I thought that this part was written by the translator. Oh, you are right. You are right. Thank you. Yes, it is. I'm wrong. Okay, thank you for that. But I agree that it is very difficult to understand. Of course, yes. But I think we're giving it a good try. Okay, who's next? I am Kim. Okay. While these diagrams may be useful for general understanding of what Chan is about, in the case of this as well as the other houses of Chan, the transmission of teaching did not simply consist of explanations and elaborations of particular te teaching frameworks. Nevertheless, in the Kaodong house, there was at least in some cases, formal transmission of its particular teaching devices after the actual mind-to-mind -mind communication of the essence of Chan. The subsequent ceremonialization of formal tradition became a target of severe criticism, both within and without this particular lineage. I think I'm next. Deshan, <coughs> Jean Zian, John, a stock figure in Chan lore and one of the most important links in the transmission, usually appears in the function of representing the shift from conceptual and inductive knowledge to discursive, non-discursive knowledge in direct experience. As famous for striking, as Linji is for shouting, he is usually pictured as attempting to foster an abrupt switch into the vaster realm of direct perception from the confinement of conditioned thought. And that's what all the koans, or most of them at least, attempt to do. The abrupt switch into the vaster realm of direct perception from the confinement of conditioned thought. Deshan's most famous successors were the extraordinary Yan Tu, died, 18, uh, died 887, and the great teacher Zhu Feng, died 908. Yan Tu is one of those Chan masters who is already enlightened when he appears on the scene of Chen Lore and often plays the role of idol breaker. In particular, he opposed quietism, apparently a fairly common sorry, fairly common degeneration of Chan, and stressed the importance of complete mental freedom, fluidity, and resilience. Zhu Fang, on the other hand, whose final enlightenment is said to have actually taken place through the impact of Yan Tu's guidance rather than Da Shen's tutelage represents the diligent indefatigable? No, no, no. 
indefatigable. I'm sorry, indefatigable. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Not getting tired. Endless. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Hmm. Seeker who matures slowly and finally becomes a skillful teacher of vast experience and expertise. I have a question. Okay. What is idol breaker? Oh, I'll tell you a little story. Um, there was a, a, a great master, Zen master, shoveling manure at the bottom of a mountain. And someone goes looking for the master and says, where does the master live? And, and the master who's shoveling manure points, points up and says, up there in the mountain. So it, it's, you know, that... If you believe someone's a, uh, if you really look up to someone, you're not going to see them clearly, and you're going to, you're not going to be able to have a relationship to them. You're not going to be able to learn from them. That's what I take it as idol breaker. Do others see it like that? I think pretty much you know there's a saying just let me say one more thing if you meet the buddha on the road on the road kill him that oh that oh. it's that's a part of a koan so that idea that that um well really breaking that idea of of idols you know at first you go to a state of disappointment but then you get there become a real person but go on melissa yeah, I was I, I I so agree with that. And then also, you know, we we make idols of things, money or or you know, different kinds of things. And so I think an idol breaker would also move to show that those things are not what what we feel they represent. They're not. And that's one of the objections in, in Judaism of of idols which is, is uh, articulating something that can't be articulated. You know, knowing something, call, these things are beyond words and, and thinking that this person is special. As long as you do that, you're kind of stuck. So basically what he's doing is being down to earth instead of trying to make himself look like i am wise and i am all that right like the guy shoveling manure yeah yeah because why would he be shoveling manure because he's a master he should be able to say to whomever hey you do it for me or whatever but no he's humble and he's like why shouldn't i be able to do it just like you yeah, you should have seen, it was so beautiful. Uh, we had a, a Zen master come at Austin Zen Center and we had a work period and he was energetically cleaning a, uh, a little vent on the floor. So, I mean, he was so into it and doing such a great job. You know, it wasn't beyond him. Mm -hmm. 
and I saw him, you know, just as as a regular person at that time, or even even a little bit of an idol because he was doing such a great job. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I remember Gandhi, he did things that... Oh, right. Well, he, just the, the weaving of the silk or the, the whatever yeah. he did. It, it was supposed to be things that only the untouchables would do. And he broke with that. And he would do it himself. And how about when the Pope washes a feet, which... Yes, that, the washing of the feet during Easter. Yes, that is true. In order to show the humbleness, yes. That actually comes from Christ at the Last Supper initially and continued through the tradition. Very true. And I just read an article a couple of nights ago entitled, uh, Jesus was really just a Buddhist. It was great. And as I read it, I thought, yes, yes. <laughs> I see that. Okay, who's reading now? I don't know if it's Melissa. Did you just read? Yes. Okay, it's me. So it's Nelda. No, it's me. Oh, okay. Do you have two of Shrimpfeng's disciples who stand out for, for, for particular attention from the point of view of Chan history are Shuangsha and Junmen. Jun Wait, did we read this, uh, this paragraph no. above that? No. Okay, let's I'm read sorry. that. Sorry. Such was Shuangfeng's mastery in his later years that he attracted a community of over a thousand students and had over 50 enlightened dis disciples who were already accomplished teachers in his lifetime. Very many stories emanate from the school of Shrenfan, his associates and pupil pu pu pupils. And it's from this school that some of the earliest indications of the use of ancient and contemporary anecdotes as a medium of study emerge. Two Shui Fang's disciples who stand out for particular attention from the point of view of Chan history are Xuan Sha and Yunmen. Xuan Sha was the ancestor of the Fayan House of Chan, usually named after his spiritual grandson, Fayan Wenyi, but referred to in an early history at the revival of the sect of Xuan Sha. Yunmen is the ancestor of the Yunmen house, which flourished enormously for several generations. Yunmen was one of the first classical masters to make extensive use of anecdotes and specifically constructed questions in his teaching. Although he is said to have forbidden the recording of his words, Nevertheless, over a thousand examples of his sayings come down to us, including some of the most difficult problems of Chan lore. One of his successors for <coughs> formulated the description of the three phases that are said to be inherent in each of Yunmen's statements. This came to be known as the three phases 
of Yunman and echoes the three levels of truth according to the Tiantai, Tiantai Buddhism. The three phases are known as cutting off the streams, referring to the interruption of trains of thought and mental habits, covering heaven and earth, referring to compassion, <coughs> speaking to everyone in accord with their understanding. These may be viewed as three facets of the totality of Chan experience and activity. Hmm. I only see two. That's the three phases are known as cutting off the streams, referring to the covering earth and I think we are missing one. Okay. Hmm. Near the end of his life, Shansha also summoned up his teaching in terms of three axioms. The first axiom is the one most personally realized, the equality and equanimity of absolute reality. Experiencing the absolute outside of all patterns, yet subsequently not clinging even to this experience. This is a sphere of various devices, verbal and otherwise, used to get people to let go of intellectual and emotional holdings. The second axiom is to return to the realm of causality, to be able to adapt effectively to potentials. Here, the adept must see both sides, the equality of absolute reality, oh, I'm sorry, and be unmoved by either side while being able to penetrate both. The third axiom is perfect integration of wisdom and everyday life, being unattached within while capable of fluid response outside, not being confined to arbitrary patterns, acting freely, guided by wisdom and compassion, working together. Zanjia's school was revitalized by Yai two generations later, thus becoming known as the Fan House and the last of the five houses. Like Yunman, Fan had many enlightened successors including four adepts who rose to the status of national teacher in kingdoms in China and Korea and helped protect Buddhism outwardly in those cultural spheres. Am I next? No, it's me. Oh, I'm sorry. Ian was the first Chan master to compose a con commentary on Shito's, Shito's classic union of difference and sameness, sameness. And he also wrote uh, withering, withering, withering commentary on the decadence of Chan in his time. The former work is lost, but the later is extant, is extant under the title 10 Guidelines of Chan guidelines of Chan schools. In this 
forthright treatise. 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 By young criticizes the generate trends such as teaching without enlightenment. Sectorism, teaching without really knowing how to employ the chant technique, techniques, answering questions without true insight and without regard for the circumstances, <clears throat> failure to integrate detachment and identification, arbitrary use of chant lore and Buddhist scriptures, imitation, hypocrisy, contentiousness, and careless in composition of written materials. Wow. I guess those are the 10 guidelines not to do those. Kim, would you raise the page, please? Thank you. Like the early Guiyang house, the Fayan house flourished briefly and then became quiescent but it left a great legacy in its revival of Buddhist studies, which became an important element in, later day, in latter day Chan. It will be remembered that Chan master Guishan had averred, averred a century before that, wait. It will be remembered that Chan master Guishan had averred a century before that the lapse of Buddhist studies in Chan circles was one of the causes of decline in Chan. Fayan's great successor, De Shao, one of the national teachers, now used his prestige to promote the restoration of Tiantai Buddhism, whose founders are considered Chan adepts by recovery of lost texts from abroad. Furthermore, De Shao's heir, Yang Shao, died 976, also considered a patriarch of pure land Buddhism, produced a massive amount of written work, organizing and explaining passages from hundreds of scripts and treatises in such a way as to harmonize the Tiantai, Huayang, Fashan, and Chan schools of Buddhism. Yang Shao's monumental source mirror collection quoted in the Book of Serenity, was printed and placed in monasteries throughout China and was also taken to Korea and Japan, where it was instrumental in the development of syncretic studies of Chan and other Buddhist formats. I guess syncretic means somehow synchronizing? Syncretic is when um, it's a, a two things uh, combined create a unique third thing. Okay. Well, just think like, of all the copying of that. Took. There's many syncretic um, uh, religious traditions. Yeah. I, combinations I, of other. Combining or bringing together different philosophical, religious, or cultural principles and practices, merging two or more in, in, inflectional categories into one. Oh, mm -hmm. that's another. I think it's the first meaning, which yeah. is what Nandia said. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who's next? <laughs> <laughs> 
you. It is typical of all the houses of Chan that with few exceptions, the schools of the heirs of the founders did not have energy on a par with the teachers of the parents' houses. <coughs> Chan tradition slows, shows clear, <coughs> clear consciousness of this phenomena, but which in effect means that there is a difference between the level of self-understanding and the extra capacity to teach others. This does not necessarily imply a hierarchy, however. Juan Sha, for example, advised one of his successful disciples not to try to teach because he was too exceptionally enlightened and his self-expression would be too lofty for people to grasp. Records say he did not try to set himself up as a teacher <coughs> and his influence was recognized by very few in his lifetime. That is so true. You see that in so many different areas, not just spiritual um, practice. You have this dynamic leader and then successors, whether it's a son who's also a preacher or whether it's someone in a sangha even who succeeds um, those who um, created that sangha are different and, and it shifts and it, it's just different. And this was interesting, he was too enlightened. Right? What a problem. Yeah. Okay. Then again, there's another significant factor in the expansion contraction pattern of Chan transmission waves. And that is what might be called the immunization phenomenon that inevitably that invariably follows a creative outburst of the teaching of function of the teaching function when the external vehicles of the expression of the teaching such as symbols and terminology become routine root, root, routinized or dog oh my gosh dogmatized and lose their original impact this, of course, is the reason why Chan teaching is periodically renewed in different forms, as is well attested by its history, to offset the formalization fossilization process that results from the reassertion of human the human tendency to seek the the re, oh, to seek the reassurance of formality, repetition, and status. It is also worthy of note that precise awareness of this ossification and the measures taken purposefully to offset the sterility it brings are clearly articulated in the works of the great Chan masters. Certain features of authentic Chan commentary, such as overturning previous formulations, switching points of view, alternating support and opposition, and so on, are not reflections of the sectarian differences or changes in course of intellectual history as some outside, outside observers have imagined, but are reflections of the diagnosis and treatment of scholaric tendencies in the transmission of Chan lore. Question, what is sclerotic tendencies? 
Like sclerosis of the liver. Have you heard of that? Yeah, but <laughs> I don't really know how to apply it. Interesting way of doing it. Well, the, the degeneration of degenerative tendencies. Mm -hmm. I would think. I mean, I'm just guessing. I will say that this has a familiar vocabulary. Yeah, eighth graders wouldn't be able to read this. No. <laughs> I think even college students will have big problems reading this. And even scholars, I may add. Okay, I don't know. You know, it, 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 there's part some part of our body called this SCLERA, the sclera. I think the next paragraph sort of defines sclerotic. Oh, good, good. The abode of decay. Yes, yes. That sounds good. Okay, who's reading now? Following the inevitable partner pat pattern of this abode of decay, a classical Buddhist term of this world, for this world, the Gi, Yang, and Fayan houses, as well as the powerful Nan Quan and Shi Shuang lines of Chan transmission, eventually died out. The Linji, Kao Dong, and Junman lines reached the verge of extinction within a short time but were revived incorporating the legacies of the and houses as well as other Buddhist traditions by the vigorous activity of several adepts who flourished from the 10th to the 12th centuries. A further strategy developed to counterbalance the involuntary pattern of institution institution <laughs> Institutionalized, inst <laughs> I cannot say. Institutionalized, uh -huh. institutionalization, yes, institutionalized, that gotta work. Yeah, thank you. Intutional, no, inst inst institutionalized. Chan. <laughs> yes. At this time was to inject a living element from the core of Chan into Confucian, Confucianism and Taoism, Taoism. This later operation got, had considerable success that rebounded to produce, rebound, rebounded to, pro, to produce a certain invigorating effect on outer Chan as well. Wait, wait, I want to read this, was to inject so this is really interesting because a lot of what we hear is that Chan, which is Zen, came from Confucianism and Taoism. And this this is suggesting it went the other direction. Mm -hmm. And maybe it went both directions. So my wife's, um, she's gonna be giving a talk in August, which she's 
working very hard on it, on the influence of Confucianism on tea ceremony. But, but th this is really, really interesting. Okay, we'll go on. I have to leave in a few minutes. Thank you. Okay. The Linji House of Chan was revived, revived by the school of the great Fen Yang, died 1024, which left a rich teaching heritage, including commentaries on the methods and devices of all the five houses, as well as other important lineages. Fen Yang is believed to have been the first master to compose poetic comments on anecdotes from Chan lore, practice which subsequently became universal. He also gave many examples of all alternative sayings and answers for dialogues of the ancients to illustrate specific dimensions of the perspectives being illustrated. Fen Yang designed many special questions and answers, pointing up key issues of Buddhist understanding as well, and composed a number of songs discoursing on various aspects of Buddhist life and study. Fen Yang's work is a treasure trove of Chan lore. We get to the, the whole paragraph. Okay. Oh my gosh, there's so much of it. <laughs> but from his time on, it is virtually impossible to understand even the surface content of much Chan writing without thorough <coughs> familiarity, not only with Buddhist philosophy, but with the constructs of the various houses and lineages of Chan that preceded it. Fen Yang is also known in Chan lore for having used a very deft and humorous technique for deflecting hypocritical students. He had very few disciples, but most of them became renowned adepts. The resurgence of Linji Chan came with the schools of the successors of his successors, particularly those of um, Huang Long Huinan and Yang Qi Fang Gui in the 11th century. The records of these adepts are relatively brief and cryptic, but they had many enlightened successors and their lineages are called the Huanglong and Yang Hui branches of the Lingji house. The Huanglong branch deteriorated notably, but the Yang Kui branch, which also eventually dominated Japanese Zen of this school, subsequently produced such giants as Huan Wu, and Dao Hui, who contributed greatly not only to the renewal of Chan teaching, but also to the preservation of certain techniques within Neo-Confucianism, which was to dominate the Chinese intellectual world for centuries to come. The Yunmen line was greatly revived by the distinguished fourth generation master, Zudu Kong Jin, 1052, and flourished over succeeding generations, particularly through the school of Zudo's successor, Tianyi Yi Wahai. It eventually died out when the last surviving master of the line did not find anyone he deemed capable of effective receiving and transmitting the teaching. This event, which is recorded explicitly in Chan history, reflects the unwillingness of ancient Chan adepts in China to continue <coughs> schools at the cost of reality. 
preferring to let a lineage die out rather than per perpetuate empty forms. According to Japanese books, this tradition was not upheld so strictly in Japan, where there was far more proprietary interest in schools and sects. And even in China, there are suggestions of faulty transmission in later times. Zhu Du was highly acclaimed as a poet and many <coughs> examples of his work are preserved in a number of texts. He is probably most famous for his collection of poetic comments on 100 Chan stories enshrined in the classic Blue Cliff records with prose commentaries by Wan Yan Wu. Less well known in his collection of prose comments on 100 Chan stories called the Cascade Collection, which also was also expanded by Wan Yan Wu's commentaries into the classic Measuring Tap. Zhu Du's work has maintained a lasting influence through these books, particularly the Blue Cliff Record, which was for centuries a sort of standard Zen text in Japan. His anthology on, on <coughs> Outstanding Adepts was also lauded as a guide for the world by the founder of the southern branch of the Complete Reality School of Taoism, which has enormous influence in China during the Song, Jin, and Yan dynasties. Yang Wu, in this Book of Serenity known by another of his honorific titles, Fo Guo, and his successor Dao Wei, known as Outstanding Masters in the Linji line, also studied with Yunmen Chan, and the latter studied Dong Chan as well. One part of their work realizes reveals an aspect of Chan teaching that is easily glossed over in dogmatic <coughs> and ritualized approaches cooperation by opposition. So dramatic was the influence of Yan Wu's Blue Cliff record that it came to be widely recognized as authoritative, with the consequence that is often memorized and quoted without being studied and employed. Therefore, Dao Wei, recognized heir of Yan Wu himself, had the book burned and then explain Chan's stories in quite a different manner in order to break up the current fixation on Yan Wu's formulations. The Chan record of this event <coughs> and its background notes the time and function of both Yan Wu's teaching and Dao Wei's supersession and regards both the composition and destruction of the Blue Cliff Record as great contributions to Chan teaching. There are numerous other examples of this kind of point-counterpoint teaching, both on major and minor scales. It is, in fact, a standard device on Chan commentary method. When viewpoint switching has been taken as representative of differences of opinion and doctrine, the effect of this method had been lost. Literalistic interpretation coupled with primitive concepts of right, wrong, superior, inferior, win, lost, either or, 
which John Commentary explicitly says cannot be applied to such cases, is often seen in external doctrinal intellectual history treatments of the materials, as well as in the sectarian movements, which may virtually freeze for centuries around some of the formulations of one or two patriarchs. Hence, Chan literature repeatedly emphasizes the need to suspend ordinary emotional and intellectual judgments, and particularly to suspend the impulse to grasp and reject in order to derive the intended benefit from Chan's stories. A similar device designed to provoke doubt and shake attachments appears to be at work in the difference between the teaching of Dawi and Tian, Tang, Hanzi, and certain other masters of that era. Dawi and Tan Tong, representatives of the Linji and Kaodong lines of Chan respectively, are pictured as presenting quite different forms of Chan practice. The former supposedly upholding so-called Kanwi or story contemplation. The latter supposedly upholding so-called Mo Gio or silent illumination. Story contemplation means use of the Chan story or Gongan, Japanese koan, in meditation. Someone want to finish this paragraph? <laughs> I can. Silent illumination means quiet sitting in pure awareness with no object. Since one was known to tend to intellectualism while the other was known to tend to quietism, neither could be emphasized exclusively. While the emphasis of Da Hu and uh, Tai Tong differed, however, both of these masters did in fact use both of these methods in their teaching. Japanese Palmetic and Western historians have evaluated this to the status of a controversy or even a schism, but exaggeration has no basis in the actual Chinese records of the original activity, which show that Da Hu and Hong Zhao appeared and supported each other. A parallel phenomenon appears to have, it appears in an apparent opposition between an apparent opposition between two other. two other Chan masters of that era, centering around the extremes of so-called gay deng or complication, Chan corresponding to Kan Hu and Ping Shai or ordinary reality, Chan corresponding to Ma Zhao. Again, records show that these masters did not question each other's attachment, I mean attainment, but provided a counterpoint to shake the attachments of students who were merely webbed in a particular form of practice or school. Do we know what quietism is? Sitting in silence as opposed to 
Are you I looking think, it up? No, no, no. It's just that in the previous... Oh, in the Christian faith. Yeah. Calm acceptance of things as they are without attempts to resist or change them is another part of it. Political quietism. That's political quietism. And we sort of do that in Zazen, don't we? Don't we just sit as we are in Zazen, depending on how you sit, of course, how you do your sit that particular moment or day? And it's just the doctrine of Christian spirituality that in general holds that perfection consists in passively quiet of the soul, oh, passivity in the suppression of. Okay. Do you see similarities to some moments in Sazen, Kim, where you just sit and let things show up and then move on like clouds? You don't attach to anything, you don't react to anything, you just... Probably, yeah. Where were we? Um, oh, I think uh, we're at the top. Dawi is well known. Oh, did Milan leave? Yeah, Milan said she had to go. She had to go. Dawi is well known for his outspoken criticism of quietism an endemic disease of Chan and Zen so prevalent that Chan and Zen literature abound with warnings against it. Some observers have even called Zen a religion or cult of tranquility, despite the fact that all of its great teachers are on record to, um, on record to the contrary. Dawis points out that quiescence is a means, not an end, and Tian Tong also warns against excess in quiet sitting, criticizing those who cannot integrate with the ordinary world. Dawi also criticized formalization of Chan as a religion and its reliance on ceremonial trappings. And he especially repudiated the current belief that the enlightened experience, Wu, Japanese Satori, is not necessary. He further contributed to the enlivening of Chan tradition by collecting unusual stories and writings that bring out perspectives that tended to become neglected in stereotyped schools. Are we, are we getting close to the end? We're getting closer. How many pages left? I don't know a few. Oh, I thought you had the book. I do, but it's on the shelf. Oh, okay. So this is 28. Wow. I thought we'd finish today. I did too. You put a pretty good dent in it, I think. I think we're here. Tianto Hanzi is mentioned specifically in Dawi's writing as a reviver of the declining 
Kadong School of Chan, and also notably as one of one who really understood what Dawi was about. <coughs> Hangji or Tian Tong, as he is known in this Book of Serenity, was the crowning master of restoration of the Kadong School, which has perished and has been resurrected by a Linji master of a couple of generations before. He left a rich teaching, which included a set of 100 homes on selected Chan stories. After the fashion of the earlier Zudu, he also produced a collection of prose comments on a hundred stories like Zudu's Cascade Collection. Both of these texts were taken up by the later Kaodong master Wansong Zingzu and expounded in a fashion similar to Wanwu's treatment of Zudu's work. The prose collection was expanded into the record of further inquiries, while the verse collection was expanded into the Book of Serenity, of which the present volume is a translation. The original text, the original text of the Book of Serenity, was lost due to a due to disturbed conditions in northern China, where Wang Song worked, successive invasions and occupations by foreign powers. The text was eventually reconstructed by Wang Song himself at the request of one of his disciples, a statesman named Yelu Chuchai. Yelu Chuchai was descended from the Katan people who ruled part of northern China under the Lao dynasty, uh, received a Chinese education and was an officer of the Jin dynasty under the Churchin people who supplanted the Katan Lao, the Katan Lao. Eventually he was impressed into he was impressed into service of the Gungas, Genghis Khan and the Mongol conqueror, or the Mongol conqueror. He was one of several spiritually trained people from Northeast and Central Asia, credited with the mitigation of the harshness of the Mongol rule over Asia. A Confucian by early training, Ye Lu openly recognized the greater scope, scope, I'll wait, <laughs> All right. the greater scope of Chan Buddhism and became an attentive disciple of Wan Song. He had originally been sent to Wan Song by another Chan master because of Wan Song's erudition in the secular Chinese classics and consequent ability to connect with Ye Lu's educational background. Ye Lu urgently requested the reconstruction of the Book of Serenity during his extended stay at Gen Jiz, Jiz headquarters in Mongolia to help him continue his Chan study while separated from his teacher. How do you guys feel about stopping here? I think that's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. Okay. Um, I, 
Go on, Star uh, Starlet, you started to say something? Uh, no, I said I, I concur. Okay, okay. <laughs>